Merry Christmas, everyone. Especially kiddos, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, we're ex- I'm always excited when you stay in, in here with us. Um, I think if you don't know, there's a bunch of goodie bags over there. If you feel like you need to do something, um, go ahead and you can go over there and grab one of those. Um, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Service this morning, I think, is going to be maybe a little bit shorter than normal. Um, going to give us some time at the end to eat cookies. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity to celebrate the incarnation of your son. This miracle of miracles where you, God, became a human being. You were born into this world that you united your eternal divine self with a mortal, frail human nature in order to save us, to rescue us from sin and death. God, I pray that in this season that is so filled, filled to the brim with food and presents and songs and Christmas TV specials and all of these wonderful, fun things that we do every year, I I pray that we wouldn't lose sight of the fact that this glorious miracle takes place 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem and that this is the beginning of the great rescue plan that you have for us, the hope that we have in Christ for the redemption from sin. I just pray that we would, we would find rest in that, God. I, I'm, just, I'm aware that so many of us rejoice in this period of the year, and, and, and many of us as well are struggle. We struggle because things aren't the way we want them to be. Christmas feels like a time where uh, everything is right, supposed to be right in the world, and we look around us and we find that it's not. And God, I pray that that would just compel us towards you, that we would lean into you, Jesus, because you are the one that will come again to make things right. And as we remember your first coming, help us to look forward to your second this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning is not only Christmas Eve, it's the fourth week of Advent. And if you've been with us, we've been talking a little bit about how Advent is a season of four weeks before Christmas, and it's designed as a period of reflection, a period of, of looking forward to the feast of Christmas that's coming tomorrow. That Christmas is this, this great celebration of the miracle of the incarnation of Christ. And we lead up to that in Advent. And we, we somewhat somberly, soberly celebrate Advent. Even in, in the songs that were chosen this morning, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is, is a longing for something new and something different to come. 
And we're just, we're at the cusp of that this morning. One of the things we've been talking about and asking our congregation to participate in in Advent is the giving of ourselves to others. As we reflect on Christ giving himself to us, we've said, hey, how can we always, but especially in this season, give ourselves away for the good of others? And I just, before we get into the text this morning, I just want to give everyone uh, some, some good news about how we have done that this season. Again, thank you so much for those of you that volunteered to bell ring for the Salvation Army. We raised seven, over $1,700 for the work of the Salvation Army in Coeur d'Alene in the two days of bell ringing that we did this year. That's pretty awesome. We also gave foster children $600 worth of gift cards for their Christmases. So thank you for all of you who've donated those. We'll be donating 20 winter coats to refugees in Spokane, observing their first cold U.S. winter this year. So thank you again for those donations. And then lastly, our fund to supply uh, Bethany Kids pediatric surgery unit with supplies for 2024, that fund that requires $5,000, we've raised $4,263 so far. So again, thank you so much for your generosity. Uh, We're going to be accepting donations for that fund through the end of the year. If any of you have any year in giving that you still have planned, I would just encourage you uh, to help us get that full $5,000 to them so that they can fund their operation for the year. Jesus is generous to us, and we get the opportunity to reflect him in our generosity to others, and I just thank you all for that. Another thing that we talk about at Advent a little bit, and we haven't talked about it a lot this year, you may have noticed there's this, this little wreath up here, and there's been, there's been candle lighting each week, and we, we haven't said much about it, and so I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning kind of talking a little bit about this Advent wreath. If you're unfamiliar, the Advent wreath um, was invented by a German Lutheran pastor named Johann Wickham in 1839. He was working with children in a mission school, and crazy, the children were really excited about when Christmas is coming. I know none of you kids have any idea what that feels like. None of you parents are like frustrated by the incessant questioning about Christmas, but he was And uh, so he decided he would create this wreath with candles on it that you could light uh, every day to mark off the days to Christmas. And there were special taller candles for Sundays, and there was a candle in the center, which we'll talk about. And over the years, this tradition that he started in his mission school spread around Europe and spread into America. And those candles, those four special Sunday candles were given names. The names they were given were the hope candle, the peace candle, the joy candle, and the love candle. And these are all things that are, that are gifts that we are given by God. Sometimes you see them in different colors. Ours are all white. But these four gifts, hope, peace, joy, and love, come to us through Christ and I think are expressed in really beautiful ways in the story that we heard this morning. So I want to take a look at these four gifts. And the first gift, the first gift is hope. So the first candle 
the hope candle. I want to talk about hope. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This was the first registration that took place while Quirinius was governor in Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So the context of this passage, Luke sets it up brilliantly. He he starts with the politics of the day. Caesar Augustus is on the throne in Rome, hundreds of miles away from Bethlehem, but he's the king of the world. He decides, you know what, I want to count everyone in my empire because I want to make sure I'm getting all the tax money that I need. And he says, everybody needs to go back to their hometown to get registered. Rome's rule over the people of Israel is not kind, it's oppressive. Their taxes are too high. It's a military occupation. Roman soldiers are in their land telling them what they can do, what they can't do. Mary and Joseph, Mary, nine months, nine months pregnant, they have no choice but to go to be registered. They have no power. They have no ability to appeal. They can't, you know, file an extension. Like, they just have to go be registered for this tax. They have no control. And I wonder if sometimes we maybe don't feel like we have a lot of control over our lives either, especially when it comes to the government, right? The government just does stuff. They tell you stuff and you got to do it. How many times have you been late somewhere because of road construction? Government interference, right? It gets in the way. But it could be, it could be work, It could be school, it could be financial challenges, relational tensions. There are so many things that get in the way of us flourishing, of us doing what we believe is right, doing the things that we want to do. And in the midst of this, Mary and Joseph are doing what they have to do It's not fun, but God's gift to us is hope. Hope is this idea that there are better days ahead, that the season that I'm in right now will be over someday. This this feeling is all over the scriptures. In Psalm 39, the psalmist says, now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. The psalmist's hope is not just that his situation will get better. His hope is that the Lord will arrive. The answer to all of the broken things, all of the lack of control, all of the problems is Christ will come. Mary's going to show up at her ancestral hometown and there's not going to be any room for them to sleep. There's not going to be any room to deliver this baby. And most likely, uh, New Testament scholars believe that the houses in Bethlehem would have been two stories and the people would have lived up on the second story and the lower story would have been where the animals hung out. So think about like a garage. 
So Mary probably gives birth to Jesus in the garage. But Jesus arrives. The deliverer comes just like he promised. And his presence that day starts something that begins to change things. In the midst of of a situation that seems hopeless, the king of the world is miles away making decrees and ruining people's lives. This baby shows up and begins to change things. The people of God have hope because God is on the move. So today, when you feel out of control, when you wish that your circumstances were different, God's gift of hope is that Jesus has come to you by his spirit inside of you, if you're a Christian this morning, and that Jesus will physically, bodily return one day and put an end to all of the injustices that we see around us. And no matter where we're at and no matter how difficult it is, we can have that hope because we've been given that hope by God. The second gift that we see in the Advent wreath is peace. Verse eight, in the same region, Shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flocks. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Peace is an important word in the Bible. The Hebrew word, you maybe have heard it, is the word shalom. It's a word that the Jewish people still use to greet one another. When we think of peace, we usually think of the absence of war, right? There's a lot going on in the world right now. Israel is in a war with Hamas. Russia is in a war with Ukraine. It sounds like Venezuela's probably declared war on Guyana. Uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia are at war. There's probably going, something going on in Ethiopia over and over and over again. There's these groups of people that are fighting each other. And we think of peace and we think like that, it'd be great if that stopped. And that's true. It would be great if that stopped. In, in Mary and Joseph and the shepherd's case, it would be great if Rome would just leave us alone, if they would just get out of here so that we could do what we want. But that's not what the word peace means in the Bible. My, my favorite verse about peace in the scriptures is Nehemiah 6.15. Nehemiah 6.15 says, the wall was completed in 52 days. And the 20, on the 25th day of the month, Elul. And you might go like, well, that doesn't say anything about peace. The word that gets translated in our English Bibles as completed is actually the word shalom. Literally in the Hebrew, it says the wall was shalomed in 52 days. Because in the Bible, peace means that everything is put right. Everything is put in its place. 
everything is right in the world. Yes, war is over, but that's just the beginning of peace. Restoration of broken things, reconciliation of relationships. This is what peace does. And we read this story of the shepherds and we see something that peace stands in contrast to, and that's fear. The shepherds are having just a normal night at work, right? They're, they're doing their job. They're used to being out in the fields, tending the sheep. From what we can tell in the story, nothing is particularly out of order. And then an angel shows up. This <laughs> glowing supernatural being, right? And what does the angel say? Don't be afraid. Why? Because it's scary. This, it's very scary, to have this happen to you. I don't know this for sure, but I assume an angel shows up, it's frightening. It takes away the peace of the night. But this is pretty typical of God. God causes something scary to happen, and then he tells us not to be afraid. Has that ever happened to you? Has God ever told you to do something that was frightening? Has God ever brought to your mind a possibility of moving in a direction that you go like, I don't know if I could do that. That sounds hard. What if, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if I can't do this? Or, or what if the consequences are that? And your mind starts racing and you think, oh, maybe God, God must not have told me that. But God does that all the time. God calls us into scary things. God appoints frightening circumstances into our life. And then he immediately says, hey, don't be afraid. Because God's gift to us when we are afraid is peace. First, on the inside, because from God's vantage point, if you belong to him, everything is going according to plan. Nothing can happen to you that is outside of his will. Because the Prince of Peace has come to us. Jesus has come to us and is making all things new. Philippians 4 says, don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's so important to recognize that we think we should have peace in our understanding, right? When, When we have it all figured out, when we can map the course to the successful outcome, when we have all of our ducks in a row, when the, finance, when the books end in black and not red, right? Then we can have peace. But Paul says that God's peace comes above that, beyond that, even when that doesn't exist. The gift of peace is that we can live in the midst of something scary, like an angel showing up or like a calling to something difficult and still believe that God is for us. And we can also remember that Jesus will come back. He comes in Bethlehem, but he will come again. And he will end all the wars. But he will also repair all of the other broken things and make everything right in the world. Paul says this at the very end of Romans. And it's such a great paradox. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace is going to bring an end to all of this wickedness and terrible things. 
And this is a gift that we've been given by the Holy Spirit inside of us to hold on to. The third candle is called joy. If it'll light, there we go. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. I get the impression here that the angel can just hardly, hardly stand it. He's so thrilled by his message. He just can't wait to tell it. Great joy. The Messiah is born. The king is here. Sometimes I think we mess up joy in the church. I, you've probably heard people talk about the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is this, this fleeting kind of worldly thing where, you know, you get a brand new car and you drive it off the lot and you're happy. And then there's a rock that chips the windshield. And you're not happy anymore. Or you, you go out to dinner and you have a really good meal and you're happy. And then you go home and you have a stomachache and you're not happy anymore. Happiness just kind of goes up and down and up and down. And we shouldn't be happy. We should be joyful. And, and that's kind of true. Happiness is, is this outward and circumstantial thing. Joy is deep and spiritual and independent of our circumstances. But, but I think sometimes that makes us feel like joy is this secret kind of reasonable confidence in God and not an actual expression of deep feelings. Like we can say, you know, I'm not happy, but I have joy in the Lord. And you go like, do you though, really? And we've kind of, we've kind of told ourselves because, that because joy is this deep spiritual thing, it's actually not very joyful. In the book of James, James is being, if you've ever read James, James just doesn't pull any punches. And he's talking about people in the church who have their priorities wrong. And he says, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. But for our purposes, look at what he parallels to joy in that verse. Laughter. James expects joy to be connected to laughter. John of the Cross, who was a, a, a theologian in the 1500s, he says, the soul of the one who serves God always swims in joy, always keeps holiday, and is always in the mood for singing. <laughs> I want to go, thanks, John. <laughs> now I feel bad because I don't always feel like singing. But what he's picking up on is this idea that joy, which is a fruit of the Spirit, it's a supernatural gift, is actually meant to express itself joyfully. That there's, there's no like normal definition of joy that means a lot like happiness. And then there's this spiritual representation of joy, which is like not really joyful. God's gift to us through the Holy Spirit is real expressive joy. Even when our outside circumstances don't match that. Charles Spurgeon said, it is not to sorrow, but to joy that the great king invites his subjects when he glorifies his son, Jesus. If you know Spurgeon's story, you know that he is a man that battled lifelong chronic clinical depression. He struggled 
over and over and over again to find that joy. But he also recognized that joy is a gift of the Spirit of God for us. And his practice and his encouragement to his congregation was to continually seek it from Christ. And so for us this morning, we we can be reminded that we don't have to settle for a life without joy. Even when things don't seem to be going right, even when our circumstances are not the way we wanted them to, we can find supernatural joy in Christ. And the way we do that is by taking the angel's advice to the shepherds. The angels say, go to Jesus. When we come to Christ with our challenges, with our problems, we can find joy. The fourth candle is the love candle. Verse 16, they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Mary treasures all of these things in her heart and meditates on them. What do you think Mary is thinking about? Probably a lot of things, but... One thing that comes to mind for me is that new, brand new parents, they're experiencing a really special kind of love. For those of you that are parents here, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. Generally, when you fall in love, right, there's some, there's some physical attraction probably. There's that, that kind of butterflies in your stomach feeling. You you find someone who is just a fascinating conversation partner. They're they're a friend. Maybe they're exciting and fun to be with. You go out on adventures with them and you do things. You fall in love. Babies aren't like that at all, are they? Babies are not particularly good looking. I know your baby was good looking, but everyone else's baby, mediocre looking. They cause a lot of pain. They're inconvenient. They're noisy, they're uncommunicative, they ruin your sleep, they make a mess, they're totally useless around the house, but we instantly, deeply love them, don't we? Moms and dads, the first time you saw your child, something happened in you, unexplainable love. And this might be the closest that we get to understanding God's love for us. Romans 5, 8 says, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because human beings are a mess, right? We, we are weak, we are foolish, we are wicked, we cause pain, we ignore God, we ruin his creation, we hurt one another. We don't provide God with any benefit whatsoever, but he loves us anyway. Athanasius in the 300s wrote, for we were the purpose of his embodiment. And for our salvation, he so loved human beings as to, be, as to come to be and appear in a human body. 
See, the overwhelming love Mary is surely feeling for her baby boy is actually just a tiny picture of the vast love that God is showing through him in that moment. Because you and I, we are the truly helpless ones. We are broken and malformed by sin. We are captive to death. And it's Jesus' great love for us that is being expressed in that manger. As he assumes humility and poverty and weakness so that he can save us. We who were not worth saving and yet deeply loved by God. And the gift of God's love is expressed in the incarnation where he comes to save us, where he begins this plan of salvation that he's going to live out over the next 30 years and culminate in the cross. And that brings us to the center candle. This is the candle that we call the Christ candle. This is the candle that we light to mark the birth of Jesus. We're not going to have a gathering on Christmas morning, so we're lighting it this morning. And this is also the candle that we will keep until Good Friday. And at the end of our Good Friday service, when we remember the death of Jesus on the cross, we will extinguish that candle. And this is the commemoration of the part of Jesus' life that we participate in every week. As we take communion together, we remember his death on the cross for us through the communion meal. We remember his his body that is brand new on Christmas morning, broken for us at the cross. We remember his blood that is freshly pumping through his veins on Christmas morning, shed on the cross for us. This event that we remember is the ultimate source of our hope. Because what Jesus does opens the door for our future. It's the source of our peace because what Jesus does by allowing himself to be broken He becomes the healing of all of our brokenness. Jesus' gift of joy on the cross comes from his proving to us that he cares and ultimately his love by giving himself for us when we didn't deserve it, when we weren't even born yet. And all of these gifts come to us through the cross. All of them are available to you this morning if you belong to Christ. If you are a Christian here this morning, his spirit lives in you and his life is generating these things for you. Our responsibility is to simply accept those things by faith. To live into the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that's being offered. And to trust in him, 
to provide them for us like he said he would. And so as we take communion together, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, you're welcome to come up and and take the bread and the cup. There's wine and juice per the dictates of your conscience. I'd invite you to go back to your seats and reflect on the gifts that these candles represent and where, where you are forgetting that you've been given them. Maybe this is a season where you don't feel like you have a lot of hope or a lot of peace or a lot of joy or a lot of love. And it can't be that God is not present because he always is. It must be that, that we are people that, that wander. We are people that forget to look towards Christ. And whatever your situation is this morning, I would just encourage you to take a few minutes and reflect on the ways that God is giving you those gifts this Christmas season. And if you're here this morning and you would say, you know, I'm not really, I'm not a Christian. I, I, I kind of understand this stuff maybe, or I, I, I'm kind of on the periphery, but I've never really decided to follow Jesus. You can do that this morning too. You can in a, in a single moment admit that you are broken and sinful that your heart is turned away from God in rebellion to him. And you can ask the Lord to forgive you and change you. And you can become one of his people today and you can take communion with the rest of us. And if that's you, I would just encourage you to listen to the spirit of God prompting you this morning and to do that. Because all of the things that you are lacking They come from Christ. And so we're going to sing a few more songs. We're going to leave plenty of time afterwards for cookies and hanging out. But before we do that, before we take communion, we're going to remind ourselves of who we are as Christians. As Christians this morning, we are not just this sole group of people in this room, but we are a small group of people that is celebrating the incarnation of Christ with billions of other Christians around the world today who have been celebrating yearly for 2,000 years. And and one of the ways we remind ourselves of that is through the Nicene Creed. And I want to draw, we we say the Nicene Creed together every week, but I want to draw your attention to the third paragraph when we get there that specifically calls out this day and tomorrow that our Lord Jesus Christ for us and our salvation came down from heaven and became flesh by the Holy Spirit and through the Virgin Mary and became man and was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. This is, this is a key marker of who we are as Christians. This is, and this is why that this celebration matters to us this morning. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.